Uh, hello, and welcome to Smiley's. Um, yeah, I, there's no beating around the bush. We're doing darkness. we're doing Need Forge of Darkness chapter thirteen and fourteen, and if you've read the chapter, you know why we're like this. So uh, this is a content warning because obviously, um, if you've read this chapter, why are you here? Haven't you had enough trauma? Uh, if you've not read this chapter, please turn away now, because there's a lot of trauma coming up. Um, well, that, that welcome. And um, I'm Lee. Hi, this Mora. is my drink. Hello, Mora. Hi. So, Are you ready? Reading this um, bad. You look happy. <laughs> so, I have a lot of thoughts about the chapter as a whole. Uh, especially mm-hmm. just um, the writing style. And uh, the absolute fucking dread which with which I read it because knowing like what comes up later just made everything seem so much bleaker and darker and just worse. Yeah. Um, to give credit where credit is due, it is very well written. The imagery is very evoking. Which, which evocative. No, both yeah. chapters. Yeah. Both chapters are very well written, very evocative. Uh, especially 14 has some great dialogue towards the middle. Um, just no beating around the bush. Just, I'm going to start with a summary here. So... No, it's the writing which luck. makes it that Cheers. that bad, isn't it? It's because it's that well written. Like yep. you can't just skip it or ignore it and go away. Alright, please start thirteen. I'm all ears. Oh, and yep. apologies, <clears throat> we have read these chapters, I believe, just once, and then did the summaries, and then we've not revised the summaries. Yeah, so this. Yeah, it's it's going to be a journey. We're going to discover some things. We're together. going, yeah, we're going to discover it together. Yeah, exactly. So. Let's go. So, yeah. So the chapter opens with Kadaspala, who is thinking about gods, uh, their natures, their purpose, their finality. He wasn't personally a believer in gods. He sees all too clearly into their natures of sowing discord to reap destruction. But he is keenly aware of the mechanics of how gods are bred, created, given life, empowered, weakened, destroyed. He doesn't want them. He wants nothing to do with them. But alas, he has gods of his own, the gods of color. He openly like admits that he doesn't understand. Yeah. Do we have gods of color? Yeah, I guess so. Though I think Galaspa's case is more abstract, <laughs> so it's more like, um, yeah. He does say gods but, of color, so. <clears throat> well, he openly admits that he doesn't understand the nature of these gods, so there's your answer. Um, the gods of color are unlike the other venal gods in that they appear to Galaspa at unexpected times, and never directly. He can sense them with all of his senses, but he cannot bargain with or understand them. They were omnipresent, ubiquitous, in every place but one. That place was death. The innumerable colors, shades, and tones made up all that was alive, after all, and so the lack thereof would only be found in death. An incalculable loss, the absence of color was, a place where the gods went to die. We learned the reason uh, for Kadaspa's thinking, which is uh, he's writing. <laughs> he's writing through a forest at midday. Uh, we also learned that he would often um, paint with twitches of his fingers. Do you know that? Do you know that story? No. That it's Ericsson's own uh, thing. Like, Ericsson used to have this habit. I mean, I don't know if he still has it, but he once mentioned in one of the interviews with, uh, you know, those long, hour long interviews he used to do with Claudia. Yeah. He, he mentioned in one of those that he has this habit of, you know, sketching things with his fingers. But that's his Today own. Today learned. Yeah. So yeah, um, talk. I'm giving you a break so that you have a sip of your drink and. Yeah, I mean, I don't have that much of a drink, and I need to save it for later for when the bad things come. Oh, we're still okay, in like yeah. easy territory. Right, so yeah. yeah. So we also learned that he would often paint twitches of his fingers. He would create a mental image painting and fill it with colors. 
to him, his painting of reality was what made it tangibly real. And that's what terrified him about death. When the gods of color are silent and the inner conversation ends, with it ends life and reality itself. And to hammer that point home, we last learn that Karaspala is gazing at the body of a denier child. Cheers. Oh god, don't say cheers. The huts on this track of the forest had all been burned down and the inhabitants of the village were put to the sword. Or the flames, but whatever. Another woman had been burned and then stabbed in the back. The place was redolent with the absence of the gods of color. Karaspala would seek to remedy that by painting the dead child's face. Once, twice, ten times, a hundred, a thousand, millions of times. He would spend a lifetime's worth painting the child and none other. And every time someone would speak up about violence in the name of justice or purity or safety, he would show them this image. A dead child with its face just barely stained with dirt, a weird angle between head and torso, and a bruised ankle. And Karaspala, who is howling in grief and despair, is overcome by a strange calm, and he speaks his thoughts aloud for naught but our own ears to hear. Do you like this? The veil pulled away, exposing the rawness beneath? It is for you to judge, and act accordingly, for I cannot change nor judge you or your beliefs. Judge, then, only my efforts in attempting to do so by painting this. I choose to paint death. And you ask, why? Because life is too much to bear. But even here I fail, because a painting can never truly depict and display life. Each time I paint this boy, I fail. I fail when you turn away, when you forget, when you walk past, when you shout at me about not painting the beautiful things. And I fail to let you into what we all share. This failure is not but recognition. Murders abound throughout the scene. These peaceful individuals that hurt nobody, with whom Karaspala would uh, concert in his treks through the forest, have perished for their worship of the river god. And Karaspala resolves not to bury them, let nature take back what it gave to them as they would wish it. A small detail catches his attention. As his horse walks over the boy, his corpse is wholly covered within shadows. The gift of light is not present, then, and he comes to revelation. The gift of Mother Dark is blissful ignorance, so that we can get on with things. The culprits of the massacre are not too far from his position, perhaps a day's ride away. They may as well kill him, but he didn't care, for he had 10,000 faces in his mind, and they were all the same. Nothing could penetrate his thoughts then, not his love for Anestia, not the imminent danger he's putting himself into, not even the portrait of Lord Durasander. What he spared, however, he would ride to Anestia and finally do what he'd wanted to do since forever. I'm not, I'm not in the mood to make a shitty joke about this. He's going to paint his sister and uh, depict love as only he can. Anesdia would be his priestess. She would be the rebirth of his faith. Yeah. He understood now that all the we artists lived in... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. His faith is renewed. It's fine. <laughs> tragedy. Shouldn't, we shouldn't be reading this type of tragedy. I know, I know, I know, I know. He understood now that all artists lived in a world of lies and self-deceit. No one succeeded in fighting truths. All of them failed. Kadaspala recognizes what he calls the god behind the gods of color, the driving force behind creation, the god that forced recognition upon him. And in that moment, Kadaspala wanted to look into its eyes and see it for what it is, mad. And in that moment, Kadaspala avowed that he would make a god. Really? But really? Yeah. He would? He would. Shouldn't, I'm not gonna drink yet. It's fine. Uh, but in this moment, Gadaspala could do like not. More? Yeah, are I have. Um, no, no, I have are a few you like running out of it. No, 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 it's like I'm saving it for later. We'll get to that anyway. Um, but in this moment, 
Kadaspala could do not but continue, endlessly, painting that one face that dominated his thoughts. His fingers were tools of creation. At once, they could close wounds, they could unravel knots, they could remake the whole world anew, but they did none of this. Instead, locked in an endless quest to paint the face of death over and over and over again. And Kadaspala attributes this to the madness of the god of the gods. And so, he vows to paint the face of darkness and unleash the inside. Paint the face of darkness and give it a dead child's eyes. Because in darkness, we see nothing. In darkness, behold, there is peace. You know what is more fun? To read this section when you're also reading Told the Hounds. And you see what exactly he's up to. Like, there is, it's almost as if both were written by the same guy, you know, mm. both the books, sort of. You think? Yeah, Maybe. yeah. It looks like it's that. possible. Oh, God. This is not getting any easier. Yeah. So it's just, we just finished a whole bunch of monologuing. We are, what, 10 minutes into the recording? And we had... And I'm monologuing a lot, goddamn. Um, one monologue. If that's anything to say about how long <laughs> the, uh, the chapters actually are. So are we going to meeting Narad and Barsa and the rest? Yep. Is it next? So, uh, do you have anything to add about Kadaspala before we get into Narad and the boys? I think they just mentioned. Yeah, it's 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 all this uh, unleashing the dead, unleashing the inside. It's all the whole Black Nipur thing is what. That's what I was thinking mm. when I was reading this. Did we mention spoiler uh, warnings in this episode? We didn't. We just gave content warnings, but it by now, yeah, more than halfway. It's fine. <clears throat> so. Pros. Yeah, pros. Yeah, pros. For sure. So, we yeah. cut over to Narad, who is uh, currently examining his face. He's also brushing I... something with his fingers, right? Yes. His face. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, he concludes, after brushing his face with his fingers, that he is an ugly man now. Um, so He knew what he was getting into by his own admission. He knew Harald's history, and he kept pushing regardless. And he recalls the look of pleasure in Harald's face as all the anger welling up within him finally found an opening to burst forth. Plenty of anger among the dice for a thousand imagined slights, a hundred thousand. Harald is trying to convince himself of the truth of these words, of his capability to drown his sorrow, to accept the burden of necessity, to deny the existence of a world of tenderness and warmth. Not anymore, not for him. Now, Narad was among soldiers, and he felt at home. He would stumble he had stumbled upon them after having been beaten, and he'd been treated and cared for, and now he rides with them. Pleasant yeah, so yeah. far. Uh, the troop had begun a war against the deniers, though Narad could not see the deniers as much of a threat to begin with, and they had slaughtered the village's worth of men, women, and children the other day. I spoke too soon. <laughs> um, it was professional, and there was mercy in that. It was because necessary. nobody got raped, right? Yeah. That's what it no was torture, no rape, nothing. Which, uh, hold That's that the standard. That's, we'll that's come up. We'll come up. We'll come back to that later. Oh God! Um, but that's oh God! Yeah. We'll What's come the up. difference between should, should we just talk about it now? What? What? What is it to talk about? There's nothing to talk about. No, no, no. What I mean is, um, the legion is professional, but when the legion dresses up as deniers, suddenly they're all, you know, brutal oh. savages. No, I was thinking more of Bursa being a decent man, a halfway decent man. No, <laughs> he is, he I is. doubt it. He is, because he has all these doubts with him, isn't it? Like, Skara told us to sit tight, but it was that Hunral's whore who told us to do this stuff. Things like that. He has his doubts. He's not evil, evil. He's, like, level no one. Among the, okay, no one among the Legion, except for, like, Ral, are actually evil, evil. They're disgruntled. They're assholes. But they don't, like... No, we'll no, get, no. We'll get that, to that. Those two people, those 
the chapter 14 people are all evil evil okay yeah i, I will I, agree with not, that yeah i will agree with that so anyway um so yeah oh, we have so slaughter of the deniers was um too fast so necessary. that i can finish it and be done sorry it was necessary except narad had trouble finding the necessity yeah which speaks quite a bit when narad is the one that says hang on is this really necessary but anyway so he had not actively fought anyone during the raid because um the battle had been long over by the time he actually reached there but he was ordered to put a out of misery the very woman that got asked for the tribe earlier crawling half burned but silent horribly silent eerily silent can you yeah narad wishes he could see what he'd done as a mercy but he cannot and the killing still haunted him the legionnaires treat the deniers a little more than dirt not even diced we've seen this brought up before but narad doesn't buy into that even more ironically the soldiers worship captain scarabaderis a man so strict and disciplined he would probably have strung up the troop for being drunk um, to say that they did not understand irony would be topical. <laughs> yeah, there is a quote in chapter one, in like right after the prelude, which says like the ignorant are not capable of understanding irony. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. like even Galad is like, look at these idiots. <laughs> but um, yeah. Like, so Narad, to put it to summarize, he knows doubts. He wishes to see Scarabanderis and understand for himself why this war against the deniers was necessary. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, he understands that um, vermin need to be exterminated. He would have grown up in a farm where rodents were infesting and no excuse of rats living for themselves would save them. But he couldn't find anything in the deniers that wouldn't become akin to vermin. Even then, he kept telling himself it wasn't murder, but mercy. And even then, he was an ugly man now. His face wasn't his, and neither were these hands. Do need to pause? Yeah. No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, he was an ugly man now. His face wasn't his, and neither were these hands. Yesterday was someone else's crime, and beauty had no place in his world. Beauty. Sarah and beauty are like... Yeah, yeah. that comes up again, briefly. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, actually, it comes up again just now. Uh, so, yeah, the man astride a mule rides the Legion encampment. I ride in person, ride to greet him. He identifies the man as a highborn by his dress. And we know the man, the Bigaraspala, who immediately and rightly accuses the troop of the murders of the deniers. They are members of the Legion, Ursander's Legion, though Ursander knows not what they do in his name. Excellent. Story so, of the century, um, yeah. Yeah. So why, in Mahaladurk's name, is the Legion waging war upon innocent men, women, and children? Clearly not by Ursander's command, because Kadaspala was with them. Corporal Bursa is evidently getting angry at this confrontation, and Kadaspala is in no mood to defuse it. Because, as we said before, he doesn't care if he lives or dies. Though the former is under orders, again, not by Rosander, but by Hunral, to identify and search travelers, and Kadaspala obliges, he also doesn't hesitate to add his own spin on the whole thing. Uh, Hunral is underestimating Rosander to his peril. It is also getting late, and um, Kadaspala rides with the company of ghosts. Yikes. Uh, and he bids them farewell with one last comment about Narad's. Oh, no, what uh, fell? Narad's <laughs> vulnerability. I just punched on mic, sorry. <clears throat> um, in short, yeah. he calls him an ugly man on the inside. Narad runs away in fear, back to his tent. Yeah. Over to Ibis and Dragon's Hold, as he is drilling the Dragon's Hold houseplate. Land has suffered from drought of late, and the animals are suffering all the more than the soldiers themselves. Ibis ponders this question. Yeah, that's what he, that's what he thinks. 
Oh, I thought right. it was just a good day of training and that's why they're all tired or something. I mean, yeah. It, the river god is away. How can they have water shortage? He says, like, um, give water to the horse so because they need it more than yeah, you. Yeah, because they're all just lying on the grass and, you know, whiling away their time. Yeah. So he says, but, get up and take care of your horses first or something. Okay, that that's the way I saw that. Maybe. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Ivis then ponders this question. Do animals dream? Do they hope? Do they long for things such as freedom? And above all, what did teaching them to kill do to them? Ivis was certain that philosophers had devised such ideas about the intangible and abstract things like the soul and essence um, they have. It's called metaphysics. He is also certain that they've devised uh, stolid fortifications to defend such ideas. And above all, they kept it anthropocentric, or I guess in our case, Tyst-centric. Hmm. By the philosopher's definition, animals couldn't have a soul. But Ivis wonders, how could they not? He's seen it flee their body at the very end of their lives, and he sees it each and every time he looks into an animal's eyes. Ivis knew that life was a fire, because it burned itself out eventually. It burned bright, but it consumed all its fuel and then died out. If life and soul, Ivis wonders, are the same, why bother with divisions? Thus, Ivis wonders, you could define things in whatever way you liked, but definitions would always be lacking. Life would refute it, always. Um, see the uh, the tyranny of the discontinuous mind for more on this, which is basically the human, or I guess the diced, <laughs> tendency to classify things and then nature spits in their face like, no, no, you can't classify this. Stop thinking in terms of just you. But, you know, if there's one thing that the Ibis section is about, it's that the dice are very egocentrical. So, uh, Ibis is attended by his corporal, Yalad, who attempts to compliment the house and gets the rough side of his tongue for it. Uh, the latter knows that he's made a reputation for himself in this regard, but he thinks it's all the better for it that nobody well and truly knows why Ibis feels this way, because in truth, he's not sure either. Something just feels off to him. He can't quite put his finger on it, small things compounding to make his skin crawl, from smoke to eerie cries that he can trace swords to, and so on. Something is up. Something is afoot. He reminisces further on life and the soul, and uh, concludes that even the Earth itself must have one to countless souls. He has felt it, after all. Ibis commands Yana to wrap things up, and likes to take a walk in the forest. He doesn't do so often, not as deep into the forest hard as he planned to, but uh, the day is one of the days that felt really off. Lord Draconis had, by an edict, brought the forest and all its inhabitants under protection, and um, patrols regularly wandered into the forest. Any poachers caught would be executed on the spot, but the last one was a while ago. Three seasons back. As he, yeah, yeah, three seasons back. As he walks, Ibis can quite easily tell that the forest is um, impoverished and but a shadow of its former self. Large game has long gone extinct and even the trees were fewer. The forest was dying and he did not enjoy dragging through it as much as he once did. He takes a moment to wonder why he's here. Is he running from something? Draconis needs him and after all there's nowhere to run to before he finds himself on a trail line by feminine-looking trees and recall burn. Uh, he wasn't aware the Nyers were present here. Uh, pressing on a bit further brings Ivis to a glade filled with wooden stakes upon which lies a naked female form. She should be dead. For that matter, she should also be decomposed and down upon the earth by now, but of course not. Uh, the apparition, if it is indeed one, speaks to Ivis in the guise of a denier witch-ish and all but schools him about the world around him in very vague but familiar terms. Darkness, light, shadow. Can I just, and, um, uh, 
yep. something about this uh, thing he sees it's sort of like a dream world or something right mm-hmm. because we see that it was spite who had sent him like that yeah yep so whatever she says we don't have to like take it seriously right it's just some blabbering of some yeah we don't need like, to you know it's here and it's probably huh, a reason for that it's moist yeah, like I'm, I'm not bothering to decode any of the symbolism it's just it's yeah. it's there i'm just summarizing it and she's lying on this like bed of spears or something right mm-hmm. so i i'm pretty sure you don't know this but in uh, hindu mythology the mahabharat there is one uh, scene like this like during the war there is an 18 day war that's the main uh, main bit of the story like 18 day war between two sets of cousins and one of the patriarchs of the families he is like he has a wish to uh, like give up his life whenever he wants so he is shot with like a bunch of arrows i don't know like 20 50 whatever and there are so many arrows that he's like laid on a bed of arrows basically and he decides to like live through the entire war he wants to see the outcome so he doesn't die he just lies on the bed for i don't know at whatever day he gets killed till the day 18 and then the opposite army guy one of the good guys the protagonist of the story he mm-hmm. tells him do you want like uh, he asks for water or something so he uh, shoots an arrow into the earth next to him and then there's a spring of water which like gives him water more than reading this i remember seeing this has like this campy tv serial in whatever small so the, the image is like in my head that is mental metal as fuck though we <laughs> Oh, the whole myth, the Mahabharata is, is extremely good. Ramayana is, okay, I'll get cancelled, but yeah, <laughs> Mahabharata is a good story. <laughs> um, I, I mean, yeah. the story value, yeah, Mahabharata has great characters and battles and magic. Mm. And it's total fun. Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I will see this so, yeah. lady. We're just summarizing this place because um, it's a dream from Spike. Please do. Yeah. And um, we're not going to bother decoding the symbolism because we don't understand it. So one second, pause. Yeah, pause. So, and we're back after a quick intermission. So we got through the gist of um, Ivis's section and um, more schooled us a bit on the Mahabharata. Sorry, what? You schooled us a little on the Mahabharata, and now we're about to move on. So Mahabharata, uh, it's Mahabharata, yeah. Mahabharata. Who oh, is it really? Well, okay, there you go. Tamil, Tamil, it's Mahabharatam, yeah. The more you know. Uh, so, this witch, apparition, ghost thing. One second, please. Yeah. Your mic is still not fine. So, it's better. Yeah, yeah. What is wrong? So, is your hang on, wire give me, sitting properly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me one second. Hang on. Yeah. I'm not still fucking anything up. So, we're actually back after a quick intermission. So, um... Mora took the time to fill us in on a few details from an on, Indian myth, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. <laughs> uh, and we can continue now, hopefully. <laughs> so this witch ghost apparition dream thing accuses Iwas of being an, an invader in this place, which is apt. Whether or not the meadow is sacred or cursed is very unclear to Ivis. For that matter, everything about the scene is unclear to him. Uh, and the woman's answers to his questions are scant comfort, because, as is often the case with such, the, with such uh, characters, they speak in riddles. So, um, the Taist have no name for her. She's not the forest's goddess. The forest has no gods. Too busy dying. And there's no answer as to who did this to her. 
Slowly, Ibis comes to the realization that wherever he is, it's no longer of his world. He is lost, perhaps, in a dream. So, props to Ibis for figuring it out. Because I wouldn't have figured it out. Uh, she starts hacking... Uh, probably. So, he starts hacking at the stakes until he reaches the woman, who is distinctly not diced, so not a denier, uh, and resembles nothing that Ibis has quite seen before. Is that the name? Don't she looks, it? her eyes are slits, which we've not quite heard of before. It's a dream apparition. I'm not going to bother. It is. I, we're not trying. We're not just saying. Thanks. It's not a denier. Uh, in the second realization of the night, that he is helpless before this apparition, it slowly dawns on him that, oh, um, I can't help you, and you can't help me. So he cannot stop the forest's death, and neither can this woman. It is a cycle of life that things die to be reborn, yet the Thais have forsaken this and sought to bend nature to the will, beating their world to death. Ooh. Ooh. I must know this. I don't think there is any real world equivalent to such things. No. The cultural revolution? Not the culture. Uh, the, oh, agri- the agricultural revolution. <laughs> yeah. So Ibis uh, knows this, and he almost comprehends the meaning of this meeting. He turns away, though, before perhaps reaching for the realization. I'm not sure. He just kind of leaves because he realizes I can't do no more here. And I'm in a dream, so might as well. So he turns away, uh, sickened and afraid to the core. A long walk back awaits him, and he knows that should he stop, he will hear the trees sing as they die. Ooh. Ooh. No idea what he means. Just, just saying. No idea what any of this means. <laughs> so, uh, within not the his... walls of Dragon's Hold, yeah? Do you have anything to yeah, say not his about the scene? I, th- I just said that it's not his genre, tree singing. Yeah. My man, I just want to let it on. Yeah. So, within the walls of Dragon's Hold, the three daughters of Draconis are plotting. Uh, they're plotting in manners very reminiscent of the names Draconis has given them. Plotting to destroy the life of hostage Chandler Tricorlat, which they know they cannot do, but if accidents were to happen, well... In any case, they're planning to do some wicked awful shit in the future, and Sandaloth has put a spanner in the works by existing. Uh, regardless, plotting is fun, so they may as well. Uh, at an offhand comment from Malice about uh, never growing old, her two sisters relate a story of a species of bird, whose name I don't remember, uh, whose spawn kill one another until but its eldest remain. Uh, and we and Spider making plans to um, grow up fast. It's in their natures, Draconis said. And Arathan's near miss with death, which caused him to grow up significantly faster, faster than all three of them, has evidently given them ideas. And so, to make a long story short, with a lot of fucked up details, I'm not going to relate. They're going to kill Malice to see if this actually works. Can I just say, when you were reading this, I think one of your reactions, one of your responses was, am I supposed to summarize this? I have no clue! Like They, they just start talking about all sorts of wicked shit that they've done to Malice. And it's just like, what I mean, the fuck? I think <laughs> the whole scene happens with Envy holding Malice by her neck. A spider mm-hmm. holding her by the neck, and Envy's is like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just weird. It's weird. Read it yourself. Actually, don't read it yourself. Just don't read it. Just read them once, and then move on. And skip them next time yeah. you read. So, um, seemingly, it didn't work, because Malice just dies. Um, and we learned that the plan was concocted by Envy, but the manner in which they went about it was revealed despite it through a dream. 
and there's some throwaway line about someone choking someone else and spite making them like it. I don't know. Yeah, which was it? Was it Osir? Because so far we've only seen Osir choking someone. I don't believe but he so. Like it. Because he didn't like it. Yeah, because he started like dreading it and shit. So I don't think so. I mean, at the moment, maybe he liked it. And it's quite maybe. unbelievable, right? Like, well, however strong he is to use one hand and like choke to death the mason's apprentice, maybe he had a certain help. But... Because that's the only one uh, we've seen on screen. This is where we get like the tinfoil hats and put them on, like, oh, I'm conspiracy. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so the two have a, like a slight argument, and uh, Envy asks Spite, what did it feel like to murder Malice? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. It's almost as if course. they're arguing, like, why did you kill her? What happened? Blah, blah. And then. What was it like? Just it was an sick. accident. No, no, no. What sick. was it like? Um, and so, of course, after stashing Malice's body in the oven, they elect to clean house. Literally. They speak of some um, thing their father left behind to protect Yeah, yeah, please. That is important temple. because first time we generally skip that or we don't understand. Mm-hmm. We just brush it away as if it's nothing. So there's a temple. Tell me about the temple. What's in the temple? Like, they call it a temple. Yeah. it's yeah. Envy suggests giving it dreams with their aspects. Uh, and Spite sucks that down because it's Draconis' power they're messing with here. And he'll know. And he'll kill them if they mess around with it. So Spite considers it a bit further. But Envy already fucked up once. And if this fucks up again, they'll be worse for wear. So... You can probably put together what the thing is because it's something wearing Draconis' armor and pacing back and forth. Inside a locked room, which these girls are Inside too afraid to go mess with. Which is a temple and a locked just, room. Let's just, let's just keep it to one side. Stash it aside. Maybe it might be important or it might never come Maybe. up again. Who knows? Um, if need be, the two children plot to dig down even Draconis. Even. They just needed to it's, give people an incentive... Children. They look like children. children. Everyone else calls them children. They they're not of age yet, supposedly. Fine, fine, sure. Should I just call them daughters of Draconis? Would that be better? No, it's fine. It's fine. You turn the order. Yep. Okay. Well, so they just needed to give people an incentive to take Draconis down, and uh, God knows Draconis gave enough of those on his own. Until then, though, they will have to settle for the house staff. Um, in the meantime, Grover Sandalath, who not unreasonably hates it here, her title is overbearing, Helith is especially overbearing, and she even dreams of murdering her quite brutally, presumably to her powers, but she has taken to avoiding her as much as possible. And when that's not possible, well, she'll have to weather the storm. She is the mistress of the house in Dragon's absence, since his three daughters are not yet of age. In the meantime, the house staff would be assembled. Most of them, with the notable exception of Sergio Natran and Master of Arms Ivis, are quite unremarkable, or in Hilly's case, awful. Uh, Atran provides the sole entertainment for Sandalath during these meals by flirting with Ivis in spite of his awkwardness, but she brings herself to a stupor whenever Ivis is not present. Sand is in her room now, dreadfully awaiting another predictably banal supper. As long as Ivis and Dracones were missing, the dates Dracons hold were obscenely boring. Uh, she fondly remembers Ivis' generosity during her first day here, even though she now knows that he doesn't actually have a daughter, and contrasts said generosity with her missing maids, longing for Ivis to return. Helith, in the meantime, uh, is being awful. The two maids will need to be punished, probably for the most minuscule of reasons, one of which being stealing their money, 
Oh, okay. yikes. Yeah, she's been stashing money by um, prostituting herself. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll yeah. steal that. Still, accidents happen. Awful, awful, terrible. She makes Nerys look like an angel. Anyway, but first, she happens upon Spite, who seems to have broken her knee. And though Hilith longed to cane her into submission, because children must be meek, and how I mentioned that Hilith is awful, uh, her station yeah. demands that she treat Spite. Uh, when she approaches, however, Spite stands up and Envy stabs her in the back. And uh, as Hilith dies, her last thoughts are centered on the unclean floor and how the mage will need to be punished again because you get the that's, idea. That's a good word. Yeah. Meanwhile, Envy and Spite decide that they need. Yeah, yeah. This reminds me of what uh, Cam told us that Envy and Spite, imagine if they were like allies throughout. Like, mm-hmm. This is what would happen, right? This is one of the few instances where they are working together instead of. Opposing each other, so yeah, it's a good so, thing. It all stops after this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thankfully, hey, dragon, dragon is a good thing for once. Hey, so um, yeah. Meanwhile, Envy and Spy decide that they need a bigger knife. <laughs> uh, yeah, because though yeah. though it works just fine for the women, the bigger man would need something bigger. And the wives is away in a dream created by Spite. Hello, uh, the armor and horse master were still going to be troublesome. And his suggestion is to stab him in the neck, but uh, yeah. So they move on to murder Atran before the supper bell sounds, because apparently they're on a schedule. They need to kill everyone before you know dinner is ready. Yeah. All the day's work <laughs> or some such. <laughs> Atran, however, is currently dosing herself on some fairly hardcore drugs. You know, first burned advances. Yeah, yeah, nut berries. I don't think we've this before. I don't think so. No. Yeah. So, you know, her spurned advances upon Ibis have left her feeling desolate and depressed, and so she has to resort to narcotics for a restful, dreamless sleep. She knows she's not ugly, perhaps a bit too thin, granted, but not ugly, and cannot stomach the fact that Ibis simply does not reciprocate her feelings. Rather. He's not gay, but he's still not interested in her. That's what he Yeah, and that's the worst thing. Like, it's not even he doesn't like women, just he doesn't like her, and that goes. Yeah. Spike calls upon her to look at her knee. Yeah, poor Atran. Just, it sucks too because, like, look at the scene. Anyway, no, it, so it Spike sucks, pulls. Not for long, don't worry. Okay, that's a good point too. So, uh, which Adran quickly recognizes is a bunch of bullshit because. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna ask fun. you because you're the, okay, do you can you tell like at like clans whether or not like blood is venal or to, venal? I mean, yeah, venal. I'm not sure because <clears throat> all the blood I am used to are all like inside plastic tubes, mm-hmm. and it's not like. Just, I, I mean, I'm not in emergency, so I don't get to see spurting blood everywhere. But it is supposed to be. You you do see some kind of difference when you. The thing is, I'm intentionally choosing arterial blood or venous blood, so I already know what blood it is. But if you would mm-hmm. just give, give give me a vial and ask me is this arterial or venous, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Probably, I'm not sure. Maybe I would, but I don't know. But it is possible. It is supposed to be possible because arterial blood oxygenated is supposed to be brighter. And yeah, yeah. Venus is supposed to be bluish or darker, much darker. And the second thing, if she had hit an artery, which is very rare in the knee area, she would be bleeding it out. Was, it would be spurting, like the artery that. connects to the heart, right? So yeah, she, so she mentions that. Atan mentions that yeah. it's not spurting, it is artificial yeah. blood. So she knows it's fake. Fake news. Yeah. Your fake news. That's what it tells her. So fairly quickly, Spite drops the act and uh, declares that uh, they're going to kill her. And Adran, in the meantime, goes nuts on the two girls, almost killing both because of them. Because she's hopped up, hopped up on what? Because she's, some cocaine, yeah, like she's like, something, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but therein lies the problem. Killing them awakens their powers. And so the two daughters of Draconis unleash some pretty fucked up sorcery on Adrian. She is, however, spiked up on drugs. And she comes down upon them with God's own fury. It's like the only good scene in the entire goddamn chapter. Throwing them against yeah, walls. Breaking bones. Like, it's, it's the only time I can have fun in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, her body is lacerated to bits, so Adron has to take further medicines, which, by the way, if there exists such a fucking painkiller which is, like, orally ingested and works that quickly, I would like to have it for research purposes. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, go on. There is no one. <clears throat> uh, she's probably not going to make it. Like that, but not like, I don't know, instantly. I don't think it's instant. Orally ingested in that fast? Orally, no. No. Nothing orally. So probably not. Like, yeah. Unless you put... Is there anything sublingual? Even then you'll need time for it to... Right. I don't think you can take vitamin sublingual, so... Probably not. If you want, I can look into this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Can you tell I'm a bit wrong? I've always been interested. Um, you know, we've had these discussions before. Like, what is the real world equivalent of blood oil? Mm. What are all the novelas drugs? There are like much more, many more varieties of drugs in the novelas. And I asked you, and he didn't give me a straight answer of what it correlates to the real world thing. So I'm like it, shocked. I find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah, let's just scam next time. But yeah, so. <laughs> Um, the girls start yelling before Atran's very eyes. Thinking quickly, she grabs a knife and pins Envy's hands against the table before doing the same with Spite. Wow, it's brutal. Um, What's the point? No point. Time? The point is like to burn down the house afterwards. Like get the fuck out and then burn down the house. But which um almost worked, except uh, Malice showed up. Um, but before that, uh, a part of Atran actually recognizes that she's too far gone, both physically and mentally. Madness has overtaken her, and she acted purely on instinct. She needed to get people out and burn the house down. Alas, Mali steps into the doorway and kills Adam with a piece of machinery. Her dead eyes are seemingly impossible to the surgeon. She's seen the look before, and it's unmistakable. Malice was dead. Yeah. After Adam dies, the two girls plead with Malice to free them, and the scene fades away. The armor and horse master have gathered like at the table, but no... Yeah? Whole... Sorry, did you like skip through the whole Arathan dogs, the, the whole thing? Yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. That's fair. Fair. That's not. Yeah. Go on. I did. So. It's fine. You know, when earlier when they're talking with Malice and stuff, like they describe a whole bunch of horrible shit they've done to one another and to Arathan, and just like, if you want to, you can go back and read that because there's some really interesting shit about Arathan. But I'm not going to bother about like bestiality. Sorry. There's enough bad shit happening. This shadows already. Um, so the armor. Of the, of the dog. Yeah. So let's not. Mm. Poor dog. So, so yeah, the armor and the horse master have gathered at the table, but nobody's here, not even the smell of cooking. So, Fence, the master of the horse, has long now been furious at Ibis for his pushing of the horses too hard, as though a war was coming. Which, yeah. uh, but all that would have had to wait because um, the entire staff had been murdered. Curious. <laughs> so, he'll just come back, settle the armor to get yelled in the house blades because of. God damn, excuse me. Because assassins are, assassins are in the house. So if the hostage were to be killed, the Draconis would be utterly destroyed and not even Mother Dark could save him. Ibis is gone, chose the wrong day to go frolicking in the wood, it seems. And now the <laughs> cowards are um, attacking house dragons. Sandalath is thankfully alright. Yeah. Yeah. We must protect the little children. Yeah. Would anyone think of the children? Uh, Sandalath is thankfully alright, and Venth elects to stand at the doorframe until the houseblade arrives. 
yeah, it has come to gather survivors. Potential conspirators yes. could be among the Sorry. Hasplates. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, you yes, have another piece yes. of Hodor, which we see again in the next chapter. Okay, I don't know. It's I haven't not... read nor watched Game of Thrones, so... You don't know Hodor? Don't you know Hodor? No. Seriously? No. Okay, it's this guy who only says one word, Hodor. How are you, Hodor? That's his, that's his thing. He just says that for like five seasons or six seasons or something. And then you find out it's like a time loop thing. When he was a child, when he loses his uh, senses, that's because he's able to see the future. Someone has shown him the future. <clears throat> and in the future, his death happens. This is Game of Thrones spoilers. <laughs> Let's add a warning here. <laughs> so he dies. This is super metal. Listen, he dies by holding the door because that's his whole goal in life is to hold the door, hold the door, hold door. That's the whole thing. How can you not know this? I haven't watched Game of Thrones. You don't have to watch it. It's like a huge thing. I don't know. Maybe you were not born at that time, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, fine. So yeah, horror happens, and um, yeah, yeah, leads everyone in the keep accounted for because, as I said, conspirators could be among the houseblades. And in the way back, Sandalaf broaches the subject: Why is this happening? So the best guess anybody can fathom is Draconis's enemy within the court. And yeah, it contains that if Draconis were here, he would get answers from the assassins whether they were dead or alive. Because Ivis has purportedly seen things. Yeah. Um, yikes. Anyway, as they continue walking through the keep, a thought strikes Yalad. Where are Draconis' daughters? Yeah, His suspicions are all but confirmed. Yeah. Where have they gone? After he walks into a maid's cell room and returns with his hands covered in blood, they need to find those girls. And uh, to close off the chapter, Ivis walks back to the keep and ponders the philosophical ramifications of what he saw. In a way, Ivis's thoughts on cruelty and the relationship between gods and mortals is a direct reference to Kadaswala's thoughts on the same, the exact same thing, basically, in the beginning, but in wildly different circumstances. He concludes that every mortal is an artist. And the bridge between mortal and god, cruelty, is their creation. He makes and his way to meet his houseblades and then take command of the situation by crossing he a moat. He thinks about the bridge between <coughs> mortals and gods, and then he crosses the actual moat to enter the house. And he's also <laughs> been talking about uh, philosophers making moats of their beliefs to defend yeah. them. Yeah, that too. So, yeah. It's, it's an excellently written yeah. chapter, except for, for all the murders. <laughs> Except for all the murder and the weird things that the Envy and Spide talk about. And we're getting to the next chapter that's actually written except for all the murder. Yeah. Lots of murder in this chapters. Blood. All this blood. So yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say cheers. So because, are you done? Okay. Are you done with chapter 13? I am. Tra- I'm, I am done, sir. <laughs> right. Let us... Uh... So I'm not going to say cheers for this because there's nothing cheerful about this chapter. So, so don't you have anything In loving else? memory. Motos? What? Sorry, I didn't get you. In loving memory. Uh, <laughs> chapter 14 oh god okay recover recover from your fancy drink no, please, go on. please go on please go on you want to tell people what you're drinking uh, it's aquavit it's a scandinavian and... grain distilled alcohol thing what's so fancy about it's like it? whiskey no 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 uh, this particular one it's um so the brand the specific brand is basically uh supposedly norwegian soldiers took this to trade within thailand or vietnam or something and they had to cross the equator to do that and go around. You know, they gave a good hope and stuff. Yeah. And uh, they didn't sell every cask. So they returned with some casks. 
I approached them and realized um, that this tastes better than the normal stuff. So what does one do? Of course, uh, they load a bunch of casks onto a ship and they take a trip around the equator, just down and <laughs> straight back up and then sell it. I don't know why. Uh, yeah. It costs about 50 bucks, like 550 krone, which is absurd. Um, oh, is it a lot? It's like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> um, hang on, let me look this up. Okay, don't bother. My doubt was this bottle is uh, like advertised as crosses the equator twice, yeah. right? So what mm-hmm. if it was being sold to Australia Symbolism? or New Zealand? No, no, no. Would it cross it thrice or would you just take it once? I don't know. Like, you can sell it as cross the equator twice, right? If you're going to the southern I, hemisphere. That's the idea. Yeah, I guess if you sell it in the southern hemisphere, you can't. Yeah, good question. You I don't know. Step it up. You just say cross the equator thrice. See, so just like you know, kick it up a few more, <laughs> a few more bucks. <laughs> All right, chapter fourteen. Let's go. Are you ready? Yeah, <clears throat> maybe. So yeah, sort of. Chapter fourteen is a happy chapter because we have a nice wedding and the bridal procession has already started. And because they have all these traditions, NSTR travels. This is not going well. Okay. She travels inside a carriage okay. and she's supposed to be kept. Before you go on, um, yeah. we already stated a content warning at the beginning, but like seriously, content warning. It gets bad. I mean, people who are listening we have, have to already be somewhat read... descriptive. So, yeah. No, people who read Dust of Dreams are the ones who are listening here. So, you know the thing in Dust of Dreams? You think if that's bad, if that made you like stop, then yeah. It's just pretty skip bad. This. Skip this next bit. It doesn't. In the grand scheme, it doesn't matter. Just bad things happen, and then people move on. I, then why are we doing this? Actually, can't we just say? I, I did insist that we fade to black. Let's see. Let's see. If I lose my spine, the, I'll, I'll just see. The worst thing about it is like there's actual character work done during the fucking thing yeah, too. So it's like you can't skip it. Point. It is going to be important later, so we can't. Yeah. Right, listen. Yanestian is traveling in a carriage. She is kept secluded because she's a bride. And on the other side, the groom is also supposed to travel in a secluded carriage because this is some old superstition they have, which is like, I don't know, still prevalent, I believe. So they go to the great house of Andaris, which we have already been before in chapter one. Mm-hmm. Chapter one mm-hmm. or two? Somewhere. Two. <clears throat> Thanks. And who's coming with her? Her father, Jane. The hostage grill, servants, Ephala is her maid, and there's a troop of like 20 houseplates with them. On the way, they notice some smoke over the forest and Lord Jane has gone to investigate it. And at that time, Krill is standing, looking, thinking. He's looking at a river and waiting for the Lord to return. So what does he think about? He thinks about an old childhood memory of seeing an ant nest which got flooded, which I, I don't know. I don't know. Does it matter? I don't know. So I don't entirely remember. So anyway, he is thinking all these things and then, uh, you know, he hopes that Lord Anderist has also started from Karkanas already and he still has feelings for Anastia, obviously. Like he's going to stand as a brother next to her when she's getting married, but but then he's not really her brother, you see. <laughs> and then he's watching Dosen Rill, the river, which now runs black. He thinks about the river god and says, your water doesn't run clear. You're blind to the shore and do you now hunger for things, you know, you're orange. And then he sees that these deniers have done no crime. That's what he thinks, that they have no, done no crime by worshipping a different god. And then he thinks, it just, his thoughts are all, all, over, all over the place. <clears throat> so after this wedding, 
he thinks that his uh, hostage services are gone. Can I start over from the last sentence after the wedding. <laughs> Sorry, I, I paused. Yeah. And then his thoughts are all over the place. So he thinks that after this wedding, he no longer has to stay with the NS family because his hostaging days will be over. So what is he going to do next? One, he spent some time with Skara Bandaris recently. So he thinks maybe he'll join that troop. Maybe he'll become a soldier. Maybe he can join his cousin Spinak or something. That's what he's thinking. He almost wants to like kneel down and pray to the river god, like take away the turmoil in my soul and all that. But he's just about to do that and then Jane comes back. And Jane, for the first time we see, is not this old retired dad. He's also like an old soldier and he's angry. He's pretty angry. He says that the few deniers in his lands, it's not even like a village. It's a tiny collection of huts or something. And those deniers have been killed. They've been attacked and killed. And Quill thinks maybe they're raiders. And Jane says, no, we have to take this as an attack on House Innes. <clears throat> and Krill is like he's uh, staying away from politics. He doesn't know what's going on. And Jane like rips him apart. He says, how long are you going to like stay ignorant and <clears throat> when will you awaken and things like that. It's, it's good. Yeah, are you angry yet, Quilderov? That started back then, yeah. 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 Oh, fuck, fuck this chapter. Fuck him. I know. Fuck I Stephen. Know. Fuck this guy. Just fuck him. And then he thinks that, no, let's just apologize. We love Steve. Please don't. We do, really do. We're like... <laughs> conflicted. Exactly like what we feel with these yeah. characters. <laughs> then he thinks that, uh, he says that, you know, this wedding is a bad idea because it's a gathering of all the highborn in this one place. So, you know, it's not a good idea. And then Grill asks if Draconis is the enemy. And Jane, you know, he doesn't even reply to that. He just says, Krill, you're now promoted to become a lieutenant of the house blades. <laughs> Take these people, go back to the estate and muster arms because who knows, we might be attacked. And Krill keeps saying, no, 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 the legion won't be slaughtering deniers and all that. And Jane says, no, because the river god has returned. Anyone can justify any killing in Mother Dark's name. Right? And then he's saying that since he has harbored heretics in his land, Jane could also be attacked because now they have some justification, right? Like he is <clears throat> subversive. He's not supporting Mother Dark fully and all that. Even every house, every hold could also be accused of the same thing, that they're following, that they're allowing the deniers to live in their lands. Krill doesn't agree. Krill, that's his whole thing in this chapter. Krill keeps uh, staying ignorant or in denial. So he thinks that Skarabandaris is an honorable man. His troops wouldn't be doing such things and all that. And then Jane says, maybe, but we have not met any other troops so far. It has to be his troop. And maybe even if they're renegade units, then that means Urusander is ignorant of it. I mean, who knows Urusander could be ignorant of anything for Urusander. And now they want to know, is the attack going to be on the estate or at the wedding party? And Jane thinks nobody is going to attack the wedding, right? Because it's a pure egg gross. Nobody is going to attack a wedding. Who will think of doing such things? Not even Hanral. And then Krill prepares to leave. But Jane says... Uh, Jane says that isn't this better than having to watch and marry another man? And Phil says no, it's not better. Which is it just breaks me so much. A bold face lie. It's not. He's he's being honest. He's saying that no, he would rather stay and watch her get married than you know do the cowardly thing of going away. And then Jane says you're a brave man or something. It's oh, oh I read it a different way than you. No, I mean I think so anyway. both sides merit. On the one hand, he could be honest, or he could be lying to Jane so that he doesn't break his heart when his, you know, shit's going down How his land. His daughter's his... about to be wedded. He's accepting that he wants to see the wedding happen, right? 
It is. I don't know. Do you think he's lying about that? <clears throat> no, no, I don't this think is like so. The most minor point we can discuss, and so I don't. Yeah. I don't think he's lying at this part now. Okay. So anyway, uh, he's passing the carriage, and he can actually hear Amestia screaming, and Efala trying to catch his attention. And what does he tell Efala? He just meets her eyes and shakes his head. Why is this important? Because in future, someone else will meet Efala's eyes and say, "Yes, I hate this chapter so much." Yeah. Now let's cut to Galden. Who is Galden? Do you remember? He is yeah, Ophanta's father. Uh, yeah. Baby daddy. Is that the word? Yeah. So anyway, he is no longer drunk because soldiers have soldiers have come to Abara, and they have drunk everything inside. So there is no more wine. Gets bad as well. So uh, these soldiers are all legion soldiers, basically, and they have beaten him up and they have left him somewhere outside, and he's gone through his withdrawals, and now there is nothing inside. Did you have a long uh, monologue on nothing inside, nothing outside, and all that in chapter thirteen? Because the same theme continues here. I didn't yet. Um, I mean, it's there. It's the same thing because even here we can we can leave a link to a particular like different. Post on this from oh, uh, in Reaper's Gale. On, uh, on Rex, oh. there's the same thing, and like um, Mark Paxton McRae, the guy who played Garza, had a few comments on it on an interview. Oh, so we'll leave a link please to that. Please. It's a Reddit. Please it's a Reddit please. post. We'll leave a link. <clears throat> okay, so this is what he feels. He feels like completely empty inside, and then all of a sudden he has like this premonition, and he knows that she is in danger. Lord Draconis, she is in danger. So. At this point, you can think it's either Sandalath or Mother Dark, right? We don't know. We can't say. But we hope it's Sandalath. And then he I didn't think of Mother Dark, actually. Good point. Oh, because he's, he sees that the old Dinar temple has been set on fire, your orange. Good. And then he starts yeah. walking because he wants to find her and save her. Now we cut to Renek, who is around the keep. Neris is all alone. I think she has one maid called Jinia and only Renek. Renek is not allowed in, inside the house. Do you know that? He's not allowed. Untouchability. He's not allowed. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me so mad. Just, this whole thing. Just, just fucked up. Like, this round is fucked up. Come on. Yeah. Good thing. Good thing they do civil war. And I, I hope. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Let's remember that Renek is in his early teens, Max. And what has he been doing? He's, He's collecting. Could he be 10 though? Because some sections about Zinia is doesn't add up. Could he be 10? I, I'm... He's I'm putting him at like, 13. I'm sorry. Very early puberty, at most. Sure. No, I mean, He's for young. humans, I'm going to put it as 13. I don't care what okay. the tie stage is. Yeah, let's just call him 13. 13 at least. 13 sounds fine with me. 10 is not. So anyway, he's trying to hunt some field mice. And what does he see? He sees a troop of like six soldiers riding up to the keep. And one of the women is so drunk, she nearly, she nearly falls off her horse as she tries to draw a sword. And Renek thinks, oh God, we can't have visitors because we don't have anything to feed them. Poor Renek. And then he runs, you know, as fast as he can because he, his knees are not like, he has this knocking type of knees. So anyway, he tries to run as fast as he can. And by the time he reaches, what does he hear? He hears Jinya scream because she's being raped by three people. And Renek runs to protect her. He only has a switch in hand. Bad. He tries to, yeah, I just haven't called my drink. So he tries to protect her, but he's attacked by that same woman soldier who calls him a denier. And Renek, you know, sort of thinks to himself that he has never denied anything because nobody asked him anything anytime. It's just, just <clears throat> and then. Uh, Do you see? Fuck. Do you see the problem with this whole denier bullshit? Yeah. First rancept. Now this. 
<laughs> okay anyway this woman she asked him sorry did you have an answer it. about denier being a shitty term no but like it's just an awful term it's very prejudiced it's very it's self-centered. a catch all right it's just a catch all yeah it's basically it's like, for anyone who doesn't worship mother dark and is nice and that forfeits their life because mother dark protects all the ties except for those who don't worship her because of course that's how mother dark works are you stupid like it's a, this realm is there fucked. has to be some uh, real life religious terms which would be equivalent to this infidel something like that heretic yeah. yeah anyone who doesn't follow the unbeliever those are all nice terms you're using you're using the good words So anyway, denier is the word which had which is being used here, and this actually made me really stop and like I had to stop at this because she asked him, "Mother Dark isn't good enough for you?" While kicking him, which is like I don't know. I I can read most of the other stuff, but somehow this religious violence aimed at a child is just it's a bit too much for me. Anyway, she kicks him, and eventually after a bit, she stabs him through his left shoulder, his chest, his hip, everything. And which is like ridiculous. Like holy shit. Can I just mention one thing with about these legion soldiers? You've been saying that they are stupid and all that. They're also quite incompetent. Like they can't kill these three people. Two of them survive even after putting them inside a burning house. Two people still survive. How incompetent must they be? Like right, that's all. So uh, as this is going on, Lady Nerys, she's also dragged out. She's thrown down, and they're all angry because they've not found anything worth looting in this house. And Anginia is almost. dead by now or passed out at least and then suddenly this drunk soldier she looks around and suddenly she comes to her senses and tells you know let's start sorting this out <laughs> you know there's smoke everywhere we're in the middle we're literally in the keep of a lesser house and um fuck so, it's a great yeah. house isn't it isn't that why they are able to yeah, send yeah house for horses yeah 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 yep 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 it's a great house so i think it works right yeah so then they decide that they are just going to pull all these three people inside the house and burn it down very easy and then renek passes out and then when he wakes up he's on the first floor of the house imagine these guys they have dragged two bodies to the first floor and left them there like what it doesn't make any sense may not kill them yeah i don't know incompetence it's just incompetence lazy buggers so they go there uh, he wakes up and he sees that the building is on fire but you know what is smart about this they've already like burnt all the furniture for fuel so there's no more flammable objects inside the house so Mm-hmm. which is you know it's nice so anyway he he carries genia out she's pale and she's almost gone but she's not yet dead so he picks her up he jumps through the window saves her and both of them hide near the ruins of the stables which has burnt down already so probably doesn't burn again he's in love with this maid genia who has a lazy eye but he still thinks she's very pretty and he's been waiting to grow old to marry her and once he has a son he's going to name <laughs> the son orphantel <laughs> He pulls no fucking punches. He does. Yeah. He pulls no punches. The bastard. Ah, <laughs> uh, can I just mention that because we've been appreciating Steve so much? Can I just mention that the irony of him thinking that if it's a boy, he's going to name it Orphantel. <laughs> you see, people have forgotten in Guardians of the Moon, Orphantel is a girl. <laughs> so let's say, dear sister and all. <laughs> yeah, sister. Yeah. So. so How yeah. are you now? Mm-hmm. Now we know that Orphantel is has to be a male name. It can't Fuck be a female. Me. Maybe you should just leave it alone. Maybe you know. Let's yeah, just stay orange. Yeah, why not? And now he wants to make a spear the way Orphantel has taught him, and he's going to hunt the soldiers down. I didn't mention their names because I don't know if this comes up again. Farab, 
Telra and Pril. And then finally his mother finds him. And then the boy starts crying and crying and crying. Fun times. Now let's switch to... Actually, this the is more fun times. Fun. Oh. No, no, it is Sagander. Sagander is... Oh, know, it's the fucking idiot. It's the other idiot. Okay, alright. Okay, so I so hate like, this part. You do? Oh, yeah, I found it really fun it's, because... It's you like, know what he's doing God. in the monastery? You know what I wrote in my notes? That he's been overstaying his welcome at the monastery. He is. He is. Like, that's the best way I can do God. Like, he's such an awful motherfucker. They've given him crutches. They're encouraging him to exercise and do stuff. He's such an awful motherfucker. And he wants to just mope around and all that. So anyway, finally, the place is under siege. And he wants to know what's going on. There's nobody to help him. So he slowly sort of hobbles to the front door and he sees that all the monks have armed themselves and there are legion soldiers everywhere and the river god is risen. He is aware of that. And he can almost sort of deduce that Mother Dark and her cult are like upstarts now and probably whole of the citadel and Karkanas is in turmoil right now. <clears throat> right time for him to go there. But he's fun. I don't take him seriously, so it's fun. And then the mistress of this monastery, she's been talking to the legion officer. And then she comes back and tells him, go inside because things can get messy here. And then he hears the legion horses seeming to withdraw. And this is he takes his chance to leave. He tells one of the monks that, uh, you know, I don't do exercise for the sake of exercise. But when necessity demands, I can walk. And then he tells him that, you know, open the door, I'm going to leave. I've already taken permission and I'm going to go. And then his plan as he goes is to visit these legion people and show them a way to enter the monastery. Right? Do you know why he does that? Because he wants to serve this river god, which is an old cult that will river, that will thrive on blood, betrayal, savagery, violence. It's all good. Fuck this guy. <laughs> Slowly. So, Mother Dark, uh, he, one of the quotes, Mother Dark, strike your first blows. Kill the brothers and sisters. Slay the mistress here. It's all she deserves. But this war's last blow will not be yours. He thinks that even if Mother Dark wins this battle, he's going to win the war. So he wants to take vengeance. He's still in that mode, like against Raskan, against Darathan, against Draconis, Will Galak. He can't. He can never take revenge on Raskan because the guy's gone. And then, Raskan. Uh, this is nice because this whole thing he sways all this on Scepter's light, which is raised as high as a torch, and then he thinks of the flames which cauterize his stump. I don't know why so much light imagery has to come here. Do you have any idea? I'm not sure. Like so I'm not meets... sure if you're kidding or not. <laughs> <laughs> So he meets all these uh, soldiers who have left the village already. So he doesn't have a long walk ahead of him. Now comes, Krell is going back to the estate, right? With, uh, I think it's Agalas, Agalas, whoever. That sergeant and Krill and some of the houseblades are going back home. And on the way, they meet Narad, right? They just met an ugly guy. And they ask him, have you seen any legion soldiers? And he asks, do you mean Hust soldiers or Udusandra soldiers? Which I, I really like that line. It, it is a good line, isn't it? Like, he's just showing that how out of touch he is. It's it's a very good... I don't know, he's smart there. So anyway, he's not wearing Legion uniform because he used to be a caravan guard. And we know that the house, the troop, they've actually sent him as a recon to find out how many number of houseblades are going back and how many will be left behind with the wedding troop. This is his whole thing. That's why he's on the road and not on the train. So, and then he he says that he's tried uh, joining the border swords, but they won't hire him. So he's on the way to Karkanas to join to get a job, right, in the big city. Then they tell him that, you know, once you find the wedding procession, ride closer to them so that, you know, for your own safety's sake, there could be bad guys around. 
So they tell him that and they keep riding. But somehow Agalas has some red flags. She has some suspicions. She thinks that, you know, he looks like an out-of-job caravan guard, but his horse looks fine. And then all of a sudden she realizes something. What? What does she realize? That he's carrying a... Legion sword? Legion sword. Yeah, that he's carrying a legion sword. Look at me. Surely. <laughs> surely that's not suspicious at all. No, 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 Krill. It's fine. You don't need to do anything. It's fine. Krill says that, you know, maybe he just bought it because when they disbanded, people must have sold their swords or something. Krill is an idiot. And then she says, no, most people kept it. Most people did not sell their swords. So if he has it, that means he's ex-legion. And if he's ex-legion, where is he headed to? Because he's headed in the wrong direction. He's not like headed towards the slaughter. So why is he going there and what is he doing there? They're not able to place him. They don't know what is going on. And Agalas has this suspicion, right? So she says <coughs> she'll take four soldiers with her and go and question that guy. Yeah? yeah? I just hate this chapter. That's what I'm saying. We should. We should. It's a normal thing to hate this chapter. We can't always love every chapter we read. So uh, then Krill starts riding along with, I think, Corporal or somebody, Reese. He rides with Reese. And Reese says the one joke in this whole chapter. The one quote-unquote joke. What does he say? Do you want to tell me? Uh, that um, I don't... The, the, the girl, the sergeant who's, who I was riding with has been on the other end of torture. I'm yeah. Like, what, really? Yeah, I told her my entire life story. <laughs> and she survived. While drunk. I was drunk. She survived. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is no time for jokes. I wasn't joking, sir. Okay, dude. All right, this then. is one one fun thing, and now we can go go to all the sad stuff. So now we can talk about Kadaspala, who was past all the soldiers, and he was snarky with them, obviously. Then what happens? His mule breaks a leg. Why is this guy riding yeah, a mule? Off. Why is he riding a mule? Why doesn't he have a horse? Because um, he has so many painting supplies that he needs a mule. Maybe. I have no idea. So anyway, it doesn't matter because the mule breaks a leg, and then he has to kill it, and now he looks like he denied himself. With blood splashed on him and all that. <clears throat> so then he carries his heavy supplies and starts walking slowly. And he feels that some denier curse has followed him. You know, blood has been following him from the camp. What? What? Nothing? I'm staring longingly at my intoxicant of choice uh, for the future. <laughs> it's going to get rough. So when he starts walking back, uh, he thinks that art always fails reality. And then he looks at his hands and thinks the same what Galden thought a few chapters back. That one hand is for creating stuff and the other hand is to erase the stuff. Does this remind you of the Karate Kid joke? The meme? Wipe on, wipe off or wax on, wax off. Isn't that the joke? No? I only know the joke. I've not seen the movie. That's what he teaches. I don't remember. Guy. Wax on, wax off. So anyway, that's what... So this is what... Um, what do you call Who is this guy? Yeah, Karaspala thinks that one hand is for creating stuff and the other hand for erasing stuff. And then he thinks of himself as a liar. He lies to himself. Oh, oh, oh. Are you doing mannerisms now? Nice. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and whatever lies he is being given, he returns them back in vibrant colors for the sake of adoration. Right? I don't believe this because so far you've seen him as being extremely honest and all that. But I don't know why he calls himself a liar here. But anyway, one day, he wants to paint beauty. Until then, he will paint blood. And then he starts thinking about this wedding. And do you know his definition of a wedding? Do you know? Do you know what is wedding according to Kadaspala? <laughs> it is something where beauty is offered up to be sullied. What a dick. Yeah. 
yeah i know and then he imagines this painting called the uh, Please yeah, I remember that part. You know, the wedding of um, Anderson and Nesia, and this, wow, like I don't get fucking dark, dude. I tried uh, using AI to make images of this wedding. It didn't. Yeah, it it needs some time probably because it's described so nicely that these two with their shining eyes and all these uh, happy onlookers and but everything else looks dull please. and like watered down and just gray. <laughs> Does it? I don't. I didn't read it that way. I thought it was supposed to be a good painting. But anyway, he thinks that his sister is being so. married, and she will be sullied and ruined, and all that. And what he wants to do, as you know, any normal, well-adjusted brother would do, is to steal her away, lock her up, and the whole thing sort of yeah, becomes unclear. He either wants to paint her or make out. I don't know. He wants to use his hands and does something. So. Anyway, this is all in his head, and he thinks that it's not illegal to have thoughts. There's no thought police in Kuralgalil, which I think we should have. Then he sees tracks of riders, and a carriage has just passed, but he doesn't meet anyone anywhere. Do you have something? No, no. Um, I did want to bring up the um. So he describes the painting a little bit that um you know the flower petals upon the path, tears of color already wilting, and trodden <laughs> upon, and the bright eyes yeah. of the two now bound as one. And the lascivious envy of the onlookers. And as the uh, was a transient beauty, its perfect day almost done, almost in the past. Handfuls of crushed petals thrown into the river, riding the currents down and away. Tree branches hanging low over the water as if weighted with sorrow. The colors watery and muted as if seen through cold tears. A sky empty of life. The wedding of Anderest and Anesthia. And god damn it, dude, you didn't have to go this hard. <laughs> no. I think we can go from happy thoughts of Kadaspala to Narad, who is, you know, still sweating because he feels that ah. way. Uh, this Akalas lady has, uh, you know, she's had some suspicions. He knows that. And then he's thinking of, you know, how he was formed by this legion troop, the Bassa troop, who took him in. And he knows how these legion uh, people have all these grievances. And then he wonders, like, what makes this noble-born brat, like Orphantel, better than him or better than any of the deniers? And so... I know. Like, that's like the <laughs> one fucking thing which Narad says that's actually good in this chapter. Is that the only one thing? He okay, says no, it's not. But like, yeah. He does, but this, this is the one thing I want to talk about. These guys, these Legion soldiers are like, we already went over them. They're idiots. They're incompetent. They're just, but the thing is, their grievances are directed not only towards the wrong enemy, but they're not directed properly. They're acting on orders because not like, absolves them of responsibility. Rather than using the power that they have to rot change, they have to be given orders so that it absolves them of responsibility and guilt and shame. They have to carry out the orders while disguised so it doesn't fall on them. And just, what are you What are you achieving by framing the deniers? You what, are you going to get respect called, that way? It's, I think it's called mob mentality. Mob mentality. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But what I mean is, like, if you seek to create change, you don't target more marginalized groups. You go after the ones in power. You <laughs> seek to change the system, but they don't because the people who are guiding them are trying to maintain the status quo. God damn it, Hon Rollin. These fuckers just... I hate the shepherd. <laughs> Please carry on. You haven't even got to the, the worst part. I haven't yet. even got to the bad part, and I just fucking hate these people. So anyway, uh, then he thinks of all this, and then he thinks that one day he's going to kill Haral. He'll kill Grip. He'll even kill the boy. And all this happy thoughts. Okay. He blows <laughs> and it. What is he doing? 
What? <laughs> he blew it quite quickly. You know, he had a few good thoughts <laughs> and then he just fucked it. So, yeah, whatever. Then he hears horses behind him. And instead of stopping and asking what's going on, he just runs for it. And as he's running, he literally shits his pants. And he's saved by Bossa and gang because they don't abandon him. What he does. Yeah. I know he does. I know. I know. So we are la- laughing at poop jokes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, they come and save him and they fight the house plates and uh, Narad is saved. And then they all go and they tell him to clean up at a river and Bossa even gives him like gives him like new clothes. And he says that soldiers of the legion will never be left alone. Even if you think that you're alone, you're not alone. And Narad says he will pay back for the clothes. And then he said, no, no, you have to pay it forward. We are all in the legion. We take care of each other. Just imagine <clears throat> this poor, ugly guy who's been taken into a group like this. I don't know. I don't know why we have to have nuance and characters. Why can't they just be plain bad and plain good? And we can just read it in a blink and forget it. So anyway, and we should then, do that next time. We should just read like the essay because everyone's bad in that book. Which one? There's literally no redeemable uh, second apocalypse. The second apocalypse for Backer. There's just <laughs> nobody's good in that book, so it doesn't matter. You can just root against no one. Just like get so yeah. God, why am I reading so anyway, this book? And one more thing, because when during my first read, I missed out so much of this subtext here because I was fixated on all the other things that was happening. But basically, Barsa says that come on, we have a wedding to attend. So we already know that the target is the wedding. It's not the estate. And now we come back to Kadaspala. He finds an abandoned shelter and he decides to sleep there. <clears throat> and he wonders if the next day when he goes home, will anyone even recognize him? He imagines that uh, Jane looking at him with disgust and his sister looking at him with shock and Krill laughing and putting an arm across his shoulders and welcoming him home. And all sorts of shit which doesn't happen. And then he thinks, you know, Tyst have started killing Tyst. In the name of God. But then he asks, where is this God's loyalty to you? Like, is the God loyal enough to spare your life? It's not loyal enough to steer you past tragedy or grief or loss or misery. It is not loyal enough to save your loved ones or even the children who had to die as proof of that loyalty. I'm going to be entirely honest. I don't remember any of that because I dreaded the fuck out of the coming scene. So I did not pay attention. (laughs) But that sounds fucking awesome. Holy shit. I need to read that again. Like you're so loyal to your gods, but where is this god's loyalty to you? Which is, I don't know, amazing. Karaspala, man, it's Karaspala. So, yeah, we'll then he thinks get to that. that yeah. When he had asked and was turned down to paint a portrait of Anamander, why? Because he had seen something in him and he thought <clears throat> if he sat and painted him for days together, he can pierce the mystery. Because Anamander has this is just this is too much, he has some sort of ancient assurance, but he's not a cynic. And there is no hint of privilege in him. (laughs) That was a stepfather. That was Drak. I think it's like Galan telling us that, you know, don't man the ramparts because I'm going to do it for you. But anyway, he thinks that Anamander has strength and weakness are inverted in him. And the thoughts are just all over the place in this chapter. There's like no logical correlation. Then he thinks about historians because... He thinks that the first historian, the honest first historian he's going to meet would be someone who is broken and weeping, not talking or not meeting Jesus. Does it remind you of someone? Do you know any historian like that? One or two? Tell Like, isn't like every historian miles like that? Like Beth Dewicker and Rai Sarat or like that? Rai Sarat is not sitting and crying in a corner. Heborik is an ex-historian. Heborik is more cynical. He's not so much uh, crying in a corner. 
ஒன் <laughs> <laughs> But Cruelsport didn't bother me that much, as much as the 13th chapter. That's... <laughs> I mean, it, you know, that's the thing with Malazan. People dying really doesn't bother me. It's when people are sad about it. Like, Whiskey Jack getting stabbed is like, oh, okay, oh, sorry, oh, God, he died. Oh, poor guy. And then oh, Borlat no. crying over it makes me cry. That, that's, that's always like that. No? Oh, yeah, I mean, I agree, yeah. Let's not I don't want to talk about whiskey jack and brucalian and all that now this is not a time we have sadder things to talk about no oh, yeah <laughs> yeah and then he keeps extending this uh, analogy or uh, analogy of uh, anderist being the one who creates silkus is the hand waiting to destroy and anamander is in the center owning both these hands he is defenseless but he is impenetrable and how is he going to answer the coming war can i tell you more hindu mythology stuff <laughs> please do please do we have like three gods one for the god of creation one for destruction and one for like preservation or maintenance so it's like that like yeah, like yeah. how it's just like maintenance it just you know it's just uh, under I'm construction not the word. <laughs> it's like i think preservation is what is usually said i'm not sure i don't know the term correctly but yeah that's how it is shiva is the one who will destroy names. everything yeah shiva shakti so and ganesha i'm guessing not ganesha ganesha no. is the god of like beginnings no, it's oh. vishnu okay. the preserver And right. the creator is Brahma. You would say right. Brahma apparently, right? It's Brahma. Okay. <laughs> Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Sure. Fuck is Shakti then? I don't know how. What? What? Sorry. What? Presence. Um. Right. I I remember Shakti being like uh, what you describe as Shiva now, and I'm like, hang on, am I dumb? Shiva's wife is Shakti. Shakti means like strength, the feminine strength. Right. Shiva is sure. like a very egalitarian god. He gives half his body to his wife and there is a god called Ardhanarishwara. We should do an episode on Hindu mythology, man. I would, I would I, just I'm look crazy. Down. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. No, yeah. I, I sure. find all those things so fascinating. So, right. So anyway, this is Anamadar in the center with Andres and Silkas on both sides. And then he thinks that uh, even if Anastia is like ruined and sullied by being married to this guy, at least she'll be oh, safe. Sake. I know. She will not uh, be preserved. She'll not be preserved like the pickled segule, but she'll be safe. And he doesn't <laughs> like the thought. <laughs> yeah, I won't call me of guard. Okay. I shouldn't be adding you to this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just keep in mind Kadaspala's thoughts about, you know, dead child's eyes and collars and death and stuff like that. Saying that. It's what? Yeah. It's Well, she yeah. says that you know when um when in death is when the gods of color are absent so when someone dies for kadaspala like it's like they stop they stop existing right and uh no, yeah, this comes up again later yeah now krill has reached the estate he's at a nearby hill and he's looking over everything looks peaceful and he sees that this vantage point where he's looking at the estate the same thing a few soldiers have come sometime back but nobody has attacked anyone they have come stood there at, like exactly like him and then they have gone back so they don't know what to do and krill thinks that maybe they are trying to attack the procession the wedding 
Three says, how can anyone attack the highborn? It's not possible. It's a greater house. She is the bride of Lord Antarist. How could they do this? The legionists are not capable of such things because he has... We have friends, friends in the legion. Not all legionnaires. The people there. Yeah. Hashtag what? Not all legionnaires. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then uh, Lord, uh, if such things happen, Lord Urusander will be the first one to hunt them and cut them down. Then Grim says, it's possible that they can attack and make it look like deniers have done the attack. And regardless who kills who, it doesn't matter. Any murder, any chaos that happens in the realm, it only leads to one thing, the return of the legion, right? So Krill thinks that, you know, they can actually attack the wedding group before the groom side reaches them. So that means by dawn, they should be attacking. And <clears throat> if they can provoke the brothers to blind rage and they don't know what they're doing, then maybe the civil war will be, you know, place at their feet. You can say that they are responsible for beginning the civil war because they started it. Right? Who remembers who instigated stuff, right? You only remember who did the first, who made the first attack. So Krill is going to take two horses. He's going to cross the river during this dangerous time and he's going to go and warn Jane and prepare for the attack of the wedding procession. <coughs> then Narad is with Bursa's troop. They meet another troop of soldiers and we are led to believe that the woman there is in Fayan Manan maybe, yep. or at least someone pretending to be her or pretending to be following her orders or using her name. And I've told you this before, but the whole of Kural Galen could be saved if they all had like government issued ID, ID papers and like written orders. So if today if you go and tell someone you should attack this wedding party and they say, show me the order, you know, things would be much simpler. It's not like that. Everything is word of mouth and yeah. So that's why, that's why civil war happens. So they meet up these guys. <laughs> Maybe you should write an essay on how to prevent a civil war or yeah. something like that. Don't have your realm suck, would be a start. <laughs> so anyway, Barsa has sent a messenger to Karkanas to meet Skarabandaris and inform him that these things are happening. But this new troop, this infinement and sort of, they have intercepted that messenger. They think that no legion soldiers should reach Karkanas for now. And she also says something like these small acts of drawing blood. It's necessary to prevent bloodshed later. And they have all these denier clothes. Um, yeah, which Hunral did say earlier, right? That he plans to have a civil war, but he plans to make it short. Yeah. By yeah. apparently not... attacking Highborn sense. It's it's a drunk. Who cares? So yeah, they've been yeah, the, that the first person they deceive like... is themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, sorry. Yeah, they have clothes which make them look like deniers. And so that if anyone because dies, their body will be left behind. No, but it, these things I never noticed when I read the first time that they're going to dress up as deniers and if they leave behind a few denier bodies, then they're going to think and that deniers have attacked them. It's, it's That's what the brutality is for, right? That's what the excess brutality is for. They mentioned this. Yeah. That, like they're going to be excessively brutal because it needs to be like, it's not legion soldiers. They're professional. They don't rape. They don't torture. They just kill people, you know, professionally yeah. because it's merciful. Bullshit. No, I'm sorry. Let's carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like this chapter. I'm sorry. So anyway, this uh, there is this random woman who I uh, we have this like nameless marine type of a woman who just keeps talking to Narad throughout the chapter, and she says something like she was raped and mocked and almost okay. drowned by four noble women. Don't don't invoke Sailor's name in vain. Don't I didn't don't, invoke her don't name. Don't I just said nameless marine. Didn't you say? Don't didn't draw you such comparisons. Nameless? It's the same thing. Someone in the battle, in the midst of battle, she doesn't give a name. And, and the difference is stark, right? Sort that of in, interested in her. And the difference is stark. I don't see any difference. In, no? <laughs> Tell me. Tell me. No, in Deadhouse Gates, the whole point is that they remain nameless because it's a, like a thing of pride. It's a thing of courage. 
to not write the names of the dead, to forget the dead, so that the living okay. can go on. And it is a failing of courage in Salas's part to give her name to Duvicker at the end. I don't right? agree with you. I don't agree with that. You don't agree I, with I read me? That post. I don't agree with what you said about Salas, really. You don't agree with me what I said? Okay. <laughs> I don't think it was her failing of courage or anything like that, because that is something that comes up only with Duvicker's point of view, that someone remains nameless. I don't think mm-hmm. everyone subscribed to the same idea. So why would she giving her name as as a loving gesture be something like a failing of courage or anything? She gives it to him because she likes him. She wants him to know her name even if she dies. Why is that a failure of doesn't. courage? Sorry, what? She because dies. I think I think she, she I think she knows. No, no, no. I think she knows that he doesn't want her name if she dies. Does she? I don't think so. He probably fucking told her. They got laid a few times, right? The guy is a dour motherfucker anyway. She probably guessed. Tell her, I don't want to know your name. We're just going to bang. I'll not tell you. Don't tell me your name. Is it, is, do you think that's yeah. the type of conversation is ridiculous? Yes. Honestly, Please yes. get back to Karkanas. Let us do this again some other time. But I, I anyway, haven't yeah, disagree with that. There's a difference. Yeah. There's a difference. I don't see any difference because this is another nameless soldier who is taking a liking to this guy. It is. But anyway. Nameless soldier. Don't compare her, her with Salus because I like Salus. I, I don't like this person. We all so. like Salus. We all hate this woman, but it doesn't matter. Salus never raped anyone. So. Thank the fucking gods. Book anyway. of is like almost a children's story compared to this. God, yeah, right, right. Like, God <laughs> damn. Why, why, why are we reading it? Oh, God. <clears throat> Fox okay. Book. okay, wait, wait. Let's, let's finish it. It's, you know, we don't have much left. So she risked her life to keep the realm safe. And this is what she gets in return. Being raped and drowned by this noble one, guys. And Narad sees that other people have also been listening. Everyone has these lists of wrongs like that. And then he thinks to himself, my face was ruined by a veteran, legion vet like you. So you fuck all of you. <laughs> but then he's learned his lesson, so he doesn't say anything out loud. He keeps quiet. So now the wedding procession has made camp in front of the house. Jane and Anastia have a long time talking and this is something I just I just hate. Steve knows these guys are going to die like in the next page. Oh yeah. And they have yeah. these deep conversations and I I keep thinking, oh, they have all this stuff. Oh, they're going to do something. This something is going to Oh, we're gonna fucking die. There is going to be a future. And no, everyone dies. And Jane dies off screen, which I'm never going to forgive. I mean, maybe it's a good thing he dies off screen because <laughs> it would be much sadder to like, see how he dies. But still, anyway, <clears throat> so these two are talking. And, okay, you know what my note says? Jane and Anastasia spend some time talking, which I don't want to recount at all. Because nothing matters. Because everything is going to shit in a minute. Jane has some suspicions that Anastasia has feelings for Krill. He says that Anderis is a fine man. But if she doesn't love him enough, then yeah, let's And he home. loves life. And that's his gift. And, like, oh my god, that just rips your heart out. And stomps on it repeatedly. I and I just... I hate this chapter. <laughs> just just, just let me just get through this, please. And then he says, you know, daughter, let's just return home in the morning and let us weather everything, anything that may happen. Let's face it. He's a good dad. Save her <laughs> Do, please do. And she says that Anderis is the least ambitious of the brothers. And Jane says that he is a precious man because his love is for life itself. And that makes him no lesser Order. than his brothers. Sorry? Horror. 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 I don't like this chapter. Okay, enough. Please enough. continue. Listen, NSTR thinks that if they call off the wedding now, like the 
the day before then they're going to hurt him at his most vulnerable and so that will destroy his gift of life do you agree with this you shouldn't if you're having doubts in a wedding even if it is like the last minute just please call it off and go home don't say that if I, i'll break his heart now rather than staying in this type of marriage and destroying him every day and she's not a nice lady and then jane thinks that krill uh, did the honorable thing for her and she cries that i wish he hadn't done he wasn't that honorable or something and then they cry and then in her mind she promises herself that she will never let anderis doubt her but in her imagination do you know what she's going to do she's going to emotionally cheat on him because she's still in love with durav and <clears throat> you know maybe it's a good thing anderis never married her fuck So now, Narad is dreaming of a beautiful woman who turn away from him and recoil in disgust and all that. And he feels the gods have been unfair to him and he cries a little bit because behind his ugly face, he's an honest man who is capable of love. My question is, would he feel the same way if he sees an ugly woman like him? No. He wants a beautiful woman regardless of how he looks, right? <coughs> anyway, all he wants is what everyone else seems to have, something beautiful to hold on to. Yeah? Don't fucking like this. No, 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 just me saying I don't like this. They tell him to have a cold breakfast and everyone should arm themselves. And about a hundred of them, I didn't know the numbers still here, that there are a hundred of them. They start moving towards the wedding procession, the camp. And then he thinks of all the innocent people who are sleeping ahead of him. And then he thinks, does innocence really exist? Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, he does not want this, but there is something in him is hungering for what is to come. And in this darkness, when they are moving there, he feels no uglier than the rest of them. And um, I think you missed out one important bit what Karaspala tells Narad, which I found very, very interesting. He says and that no I can see the man you were. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, no, no, he was an ugly man inside and now it's outside. So, you know, when That's he says, I'm an honest man. This vulnerable, you know, it's his, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, so he calls he me the fuck out. He feels that he is no uglier than the rest of them. Then he starts vomiting and the same woman helps him. The same nameless soldier helps him. And then she sort of gives him a pep talk that a soldier's creed is to do, not to think. Does it remind you of some other army in the future where they're, you know, encouraged to think and that's what sets them apart? Any other soldiers come to mind? I'm thinking more real life of soldiers. You know, this... Oh. Oh, this is going to get way too dark. No, yeah, the Malazans are like encouraged Malazan. to think. Think it's next day with Malazan soldiers who are in And then you have the leathery who are like, yeah, whatever, just like, it's for business, right? So we're just going to exterminate all the all because they were bad for business. Fucking, <clears throat> fuck these people. Can we, get on, can, we, can we get on with it so I just can drink in peace, please? He needs to think that it should be about the peace that is coming. That's what she tells him, that think about the peace in a year or two when the nobles will be weak and real people like us will be living respected. And that's his favorite quote, he thinks... Do you think living respected will ever take the place of self-respect? You're all fooling yourselves, and then the attack begins. And who said that before, Narad? Before we get to the bad stuff? Who said bad that? Stuff. I don't know. Oh. Do you expect that command will give you respect? Do you think yeah. a soldier? Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. Respect is earned, but not by being a soldier or by being a commander. It's by earning it. And this is not how you earn it. Especially not self-respect, by being a fucking asshole. Uh, okay, all right. Let's just let's just get on with this. I'm sorry. <coughs> sorry, yeah. So, um, uh, last we... content warning because this is about get bad. This is about get bad. Okay, yeah. Shit. The attack begins. Lord Jane has spent the whole night making rounds around the campsite, 
he's feeling old and he's feeling depressed because he has centuries more to live and he's thinking maybe i should take up drinking or something and when the attack begins he tells sefala the maid to grab anastia and go inside the house <clears throat> the house blades form a line they start to face the attack jane rushes to the house with these two women and as she enters the house he thinks you know he takes a moment to think this is like an ill omen because the bride is entering the house without her husband and superstition in, yeah it's ingrained <clears throat> and once they're inside what does jane do he goes into what mode horror mode horror <laughs> i think we should not be laughing like at this it. we might as well laugh why not we might as well laugh yeah it's not what's done is done we have done enough crying and enough it's all yeah like so anyway he meets sefala's eyes and she nods and he nods and that's when she slams the door shut and he faces the and he horrors yeah he does that yeah and krill is still a distance away and he can hear the sounds of fighting and sword clashing and all that he rides hard and he sees that the retreat has gone inside the house so he's a durar so what does he do from the horse he leaps Crashes into the house through a fucking wall i know this like is all so like a fucking cool aid man and you think that oh god yes yes the hero has come the day is saved and happily this ever is, after this is the wrong then, series for that i'm sorry i know you, you've not been paying attention if you think this has a happy ending <laughs> nope so anyway efala dies in front of him as he's protecting anestia can i just take a minute to acknowledge that she is a maid why does she have to die because this noble born spoilt brat has to live like classic thing in the like other culture things. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway I mean, he tells anestia take a horse and run please just take a horse and run and then he goes into mode i'm calling this the dura mode because he starts horror, attacking oh. people left and right no, no it's dura dura yeah. mode and then he attacks everyone but then you know not for long he dies just within the threshold and as he's dying somebody steps on his fingers and what does he feel no pain no, he feels just wrongness tears a sense of wrongness so i think that's oh, what God. we should call this chapter the sense of wrongness no yeah. that's the title and so this is cut to black till dies and shall we just say the chapter ends here and we can yeah 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 no 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 we're not getting into this nope 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 i already drunk i'm sorry and we move on <clears throat> this is one paragraph there is like it starts nah. with they caught the noble born woman as she was trying to climb the wall you you really want me to cut it no 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 it's gone yeah so as she was trying to climb out she was dragged inside and it's so brutal the way erickson uses words here the raping began it's yeah there's no suddenly it's Yeah. So anyway, and then uh, Narad, uh, he is also pushed inside the hall, and his friend laughs at him and says that you can finish your beauty. She's because, all yours. Because he can't get hard at rape. So she has to help him a bit to get ready. <clears throat> so anyway, he looks down at Anastasia, and she is so far gone, like she doesn't even blink. And as he is raping her, he begs her forgiveness. And yeah, fun. It's. what's what's the point but anyway he begs it he's asks her to forgive him and she dies and she dies yeah and then people tell him that you know this is when she drew her last breath and all and then he remembers that beauty had died in his arms so because we're talking about beauty and all that let's cut to karaspala who wakes so up here comes our boy yeah <laughs> and if you've read all the hounds you know exactly where this is going so but, yeah so he wakes up um, he can hear some screaming in his head can I- Can I can um, I say something? Yeah, can I please? please? Like before we go. Please. So I'm fairly convinced that like the book of the fallen would have like somewhat 
would have probably faded to black. Like, we've seen Saren, right? Where it's just like, oh, this happened. And here's the aftermath. No, 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 that shit here. This is Galan, baby. It's none of that. No, no, You're getting no, the full why? package. You're hating you know the people. Why? No, 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 because we don't really get that much of a detail except like one line or two lines. But the th- yeah, point is... very vulgar. The point is, it is spoilers. It is future spoilers, which we can't bring up here. I'll take your word for it. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's vulgar, it's brutal, and it's like up front. It's, it doesn't fade to black, we're just like, okay, yeah, by the way, she died. No, you, she dies in Nara's arms. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know, but still. It is spoilers, um, it is spoilers. So that's why this scene has to happen, and that's why we are not cutting to black, even if Galan made a choice to do that. So there's a, there's a reason why we are having this. Okay. That's what I think. I mean, yes, not... and, but yeah. <clears throat> So yeah, I agree. There's a, like a plot reason and a narrative reason. You know, like the narrative reason is Galan's not gonna shy away from such scenes because this is what really illustrates how fucked this society is and why you shouldn't feel pity, I guess, when they inevitably yeah. all go to hell. Uh, but there is a plot reason which we'll get to later, so we're not gonna bring it up now. So anyway, Cadasfella uh, starts running as much as he can with his busted leg. He even leaves behind oh, all no, his no, 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 no. place. He just goes, oh, no, 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 no. He just starts running. So that's how and we're naming this chapter, by the way. After, the, not you know, sense of wrongness. sense of wrongness. And then, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so anyway, at Andres' houses, uh, at house, uh, he sees that there has been no movement at all. And there are only dead house plates. And their faces are as flat as the thinnest pain. Then he starts moaning, sort of like he starts making this strange noise. He steps over his father's body, then Krill's body, then Efala. And finally, in the hall, what does he see? He thinks that thing can't be her. And then his moaning becomes a sort of keening sound. And do you know what it is called, that sound? Please tell me. Are you waiting the carrium scream? Oh, no, a no. sound tasting of blood. A sound smelling oh, of blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, um, if you notice, it brings up all of his senses, except his eyesight. Uh, and also, it's incredibly descriptive. Like, that is yeah. excellently written. Describing yeah. a sound like that is just the best way to incorporate how, like, out of this world this experiences for Gaspola. Because remember, Anesthesia is the pinnacle of beauty for him. Anesthesia is his the pinnacle his of what his faith. worship his centered. Yeah. It's his faith, yeah, exactly. And his faith died in on the Hearthstone, which <laughs> symbolism. But um, beyond like the ancestral thoughts that he's been having and all that shit, like, it's not legal to think. Kanaspala in Forge of Darkness is the narrative drive behind the book. It is the chief POV that Galan uses to explore the theme. Every theme which is important in Forge of Darkness has been explored by Kanaspala. With the Resander in Chapter 2, uh, gods, faith, justice, art, because this is a poet talking to another poet, so obviously we're going to talk about <coughs> All of this, all of Forge of Darkness can be viewed through the lens of Kanaspala and, and this it's his culmination, his insanity, his madness that takes over him because his faith is crushed and killed. His gods abandon him, which, if you've not noticed the parallels by now, I'm going to point them all out one by one. <laughs> but, like, you get the idea. It's excellently written, and it's fucking horrific, and I hate every second of it. So, you know, there you go, Steve. Thanks. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, ultimately, he pulls his eyes out, he rips them out, <sighs> and then in the dark, he feels... At peace, the voice has died. Peace, sort of. <clears throat> Except he has one question Which, running in his yeah, head. Yeah. Says, how does how one, does paint, one love? paint love? That 
The last thing I want to point out is um, mm. the Forge of Darkness after the Rebellion starts with There Will Be Peace. And those are words that are written upon the lintel of uh, Draconis's house. Yeah. And Draconis Can is... Can we take a break? Yeah. Pause. We're going to stop now, aren't we? Oh. Okay. So uh, we're back again. Um, we're talking about, you know, there will be peace, right? Which is carved on the lintel of Draconis's home. And yeah. Draconis is the suzerain of night, right? Right. And uh, <clears throat> here, one chapter before, Karaspala says that, behold, in darkness there is peace. Oh. Full circle. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Good catch. Yeah, it's nice. Like, fuck this guy. <laughs> like, a forge of darkness is... It doesn't matter what happens after this. Like, okay, 15, maybe. From 15 onward, I honestly don't even remember what happens. Because it doesn't matter. Oh, you don't remember? Even I don't remember. I thought you knew, like, where the story is. I headed. have vague details, but I don't remember, like, when the book ends. Because oh. this is where the thematic section of the book ends, right? Oh. Karaspala is the be-all end-all. Because he has explored every theme, <laughs> and now his arc, his arc is over. He lost. His gods are dead. His gods abandoned him. The beauty is dead. Brutality has prevailed. Cruelty has prevailed. And, okay, sure. Then we go get, visit an Amander or whatever. And uh, Ursander no, and Ral and whomever. This is not spoiler song. Yeah, I know, but, you know, they just, okay. We'll probably see what an Amander does about this. Or Andres or whomever. Which I should note yeah. right here. That in Midnight Tides, because Midnight Tides is stupid. Uh, Scarab and Eris is supposed to be the, uh, the cause of... Um, and there is grief, so Galan points a middle <laughs> figure to that. Says, no, no, we're not doing it like that. Do you know and, what um, Tolderhound says? And there is grief is the, uh, the whole thing. Tolderhound says, Because Mother Dark abandoned him? No, no, no. He says he blames everything on Anamander. Yeah. Do you know what Anamander did to his brother and my sister? It's all his fault mm-hmm. and things like that. As if. It is. <laughs> it isn't. No, it isn't. It isn't. It's not. It's just. It's, just... <laughs> it's Book of the Fallen, which is a different reality. Nothing to do yeah. with this. Well, we have accepted this, haven't we? Yeah, we have uh, yeah, declared the, the that to the reality. Names. So, oh, yeah. it's the same names, different characters. Yeah. Yeah. So, to formulate more specifically my annoyances with this chapter, or not the chapter <laughs> itself, not like how it's written, but <laughs> like there is nothing that will be gained for the Legionnaires by reactivating the Legion. The only people that stand to gain are people like Conral. And for some godforsaken reason, they cannot see this. And it baffles me. Well, no, it doesn't baffle me. They're fucking stupid. But it's just, it's shocking, shocking to me that they don't. That they can't no, understand. This, they can't comprehend. This type of thing, we have been seeing the same theme again and again in Book of the Fallen. You take a lie and you keep repeating it. Yeah. And people are going to believe it. And That's um, what is doing, on. right? Let me pull up a quote. Hang on. Um, hold up. Search the memory. Uh... <laughs> So, uh, so Galan appears to hold to the childish notion that uh, some truths are intransigent and undeniable. Alas, the adult world is never quite so simple. Yeah. Uh, all truths are malleable. All truths are malleable. Yeah. Um, you should get a tattoo of that. All truths are malleable. All truths are malleable, subject by necessity to revision. Have you not noticed yet, Galan, that in the hearts of the people of this realm, truth is without relevance? Galan? Uh, they have accepted. Yeah. Galan? Galan. Okay. I don't actually remember the rest of the quote. It's something about um, 
it has been propagated into faith, and that faith in turn is not open to challenge. And in challenging, one commits treason. So, I mean, it's almost like these books were written by the same person, you know, and like they have somewhat similar themes, but like it's so baffling because none of this needed to happen, obviously. Even like we've gone over this, but that their grievances are, are legitimate. It's not bullshit. Like they're obviously wrong. Things are bad. Coral Gully needs reform because it's a classist, casteist, sexist, extremely prejudiced society. It's shit. But not like this. Not by upholding the status quo and then seeking to install a new status quo. The only people who seek, incidentally, the only people who seek to actually break the status quo are Karaspala. And um, in a certain manner, Narad, which is interesting. Like in this chapter, Narad seemed to like challenge the preconceived notions like, you know, why do you deserve better? Why are the noble born better than us? But are we any better than them? Like when we're doing yeah, things like this. The, that same point which I told you before, how the narrative sort of disregards Jinnia's rape as opposed to yes. Yeah, we didn't bring this up. I forgot. Oh my god, I forgot completely. No, it's it's fine. It's fine. Like yeah. that's the whole point. It's we bad. Forgot. That's the whole point. That everyone forgot except for Renek, yeah. but everyone else forgot. Yeah, I mean that that's the way it is. Right? It's so sad. Anything more? <coughs> Plenty. Yeah, might as well save it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, if you've stayed with us so far, I applaud you. If you've skipped this far, I understand you. Good, good. And uh, thank you very much for listening and slash or watching. Um, This has been a special episode for both of us because neither of us liked it. Like, it's not... The discussion it springs is fascinating, but goddamn, it was not fun. Uh, but we yeah, we didn't take so. Karkala's the trilogy of the happy and the smiling. Oh yeah, so. yeah. Well, some guy year. on Reddit Maybe like called it the Malazan book. Of, yeah, there. Hopefully, yeah, the Malazan, the Malazan book of the happy and the uh, yeah. So yeah. no, Karkana's not that, unfortunately. So um, right. anyway, well, you probably knew that walking in, so I shouldn't be telling you this. But in any case, we thank, thank you all you for, for watching and slash for listening. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Maura, for actually summarizing the chapter because I couldn't. So, <laughs> I would much uh, good night, everybody. Then listen. Yeah. True enough. Yeah. Right. Good night, everyone. So good, night. good night. Have a drink. <laughs>